0: Josh Liston and Rob Greenlee, aka the Fakey Boys, are back for part 2. This episode is powered by t2.ai.judgment.day. Enjoy. While you still can. You've recently... Really upgraded your video set. I mean, you've always had a video element, but I think probably the last twelve months it seems to have gone to a whole nother level. So I think it's a good time to be talking about it.
1: Yeah, I'm always, always working on some element that I can upgrade. But you know, as you know, um, doing anything like that adds complexity, right? It adds complexity. Yeah. It adds layers of work. It adds and. At the end of the day, you know, technology only solves so many problems up to a point where it creates more than it solves. And so that's been the struggle that I've had with technology since the very early days of doing my radio show and all this stuff is that technology oftentimes gets in the way of mm. of accomplishing things um, that maybe, like we have been talking about, are more human, right? And that's what I've been challenged on the video side, too, is that I'm trying to push the envelope and... And do things, try different things. Like I have a lavalier mics, I've got different microphones. I have microphones that are right below me here. I have this big boom microphone that sounds the best of all yeah. my microphones. And I'm I'm constantly kind of, you know, like this show that I'm doing, I'm using my my big Shure SM7B. But when I do my video shows, I'm using a a Shure M V seven because it's it's something that I can have right in front of me. You know, and it'd be a little yep. bit off screen, and then I can throw this microphone aside, right? So yep. it's not this big, bulky thing. So, so video is just one of those things that I'm currently really experimenting around with. And, but I am seeing a significant convergence happening around video and audio podcasting. Um, certainly. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of conflicting controversy around the term video podcast,
0: which, We may talk about and yeah, we may talk about. Firstly, it's funny because I remember, and I I I like Todd more so because I don't really agree with pretty much anything that he says one hundred percent. But I love that he says it. He's that he says what he really truly feels. There's no couching it. There's no taking the edge off. And also. He's diehard in the corner of the independent podcaster at all times, even I'm assuming sometimes probably to a fault in terms of his own ability to network with certain industries and certain groups sure. in the space like the big radio companies. Right. So that I do love about him. But I remember him saying that he couldn't see any popular podcast that had big video following, and this takes me to a side issue, but I think it's a whole space has been overlooked when it comes to a lot of discussions. Yeah. And that's the comedy podcast. Right. The comedy podcasts don't get talked about, and even the the sports shows, but more so comedy. To me, it's the most constantly popular type of show in the medium over time. Right. It's never really declined in popularity. It's only ever grown. And they all have like Flagrant 2, which is Andrew Schultz's show that has a massive video audience and it's a huge podcast. I mean, it's probably never going to be an NPR-sized podcast for downloads because it's so explicit that it can't get promoted anywhere because it's about the most explicit show out there. But that's a show that has a gigantic audience in both both fronts. Yeah. And I could name probably 20 big comedy shows that have gigantic video audiences. So when those discussions happen like what Todd brought up that he couldn't find examples of big audio shows that have big video shows as well – why are we overlooking comedy there? Why is it seen as an illegitimate form of the art when it's clear that they do have those big video audiences?
1: Yeah, I don't know that it's it's Todd ignoring the comedy um, genre. I, I just I'm think not, it's yeah, don't
0: let me, I'm not specifically saying right. that about Todd. He just gave an example that he couldn't find any big right. video shows.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't agree with that because I I do think that there are large, very large shows on- Uh, YouTube and Rumble and these platforms that are, that look and sound like podcasts, but are mostly, mostly primarily video shows that have huge audiences. And, and some of them are putting out audio episodes. I would say that the audio is probably not as popular as the video side. So it's, it's this weird thing. And I've also, back when I worked for Spreaker, I saw shows that were live audio only shows that had, you know. Huge audiences too, like 6,000 people listening simultaneously to an audio show and then six to 12,000 comments (laughs) in the comment thread in an hour and a half show. So it's, I've seen that happen before too. So, you know, it really gets back to what the content creator focuses on Hmm. and this ability to bounce back and forth between primarily being a video show and primarily being an audio show and being a converged show. Is, is something that you don't see a lot of. And I do think that there are shows that people don't realize are successful at doing that. And Todd happens to be one of them. I don't know that he's looking, looking for it either. I don't know that he knows where to look or he's really paying yeah. attention to that. So, you know, I've been seeing it for, for years. I mean, I started on the radio, Todd never was on the radio. So I was seeing things for a little bit different lenses. Um, than him for many years. So, And that's why I'm, I'm shifting more towards thinking about a converged media space. Um, and that's why I'm doing more video now is that I think that a converged strategy is the right strategy now.
0: I guess my big question, Rob, about video, for anyone out there that's listening, like for a long time, I was never confident enough to be on video. Mm-hmm. Like last time we spoke, 2017, I probably wouldn't even have had my camera turned on. At that point, and now I do. Right. And for me, it's honestly, I'm doing stand-up now. So, when I'm out doing a show- Congratulations. That's great. And I've been doing that for about four years. Yeah. Wasn't an easy time to start right before all of the global pandemic because everything shut down six months after I started. So, really, I'm probably like two years in. I am going into rooms of people, you know, 50 people, 100 people, and I'm standing there in person talking to them. Mm -hmm. And I look the way that I look. And I present the way I present. So now I've just got to get over that and be on video more. But if you're not confident about being on video, or you don't feel like it really represents you the right way, or you like to edit really, really precisely, which you can't always do on video without a very experienced and advanced skill set, how do you bring video into your podcast world? If you've primarily been an audio person and you feel comfortable in that medium, like where do you start? What's a good way to bring some video in to the process?
1: Well, it is true. It depends on where you're starting from, right? And I think increasingly we're seeing people start in doing both at the same time and Mm. thinking about that. But I do think that there's still a lot of creators out there that will start audio first and then they'll, they'll progress into video right? They oftentimes need to build a little bit better kind of studio for themselves that will lend itself towards video, especially if you want to have some level of success on that side. I think the expectation on video production quality and presentation, I, I, I think is, is growing. I don't know that it's, it's always a requirement to have a high level of video production to be successful. I do see shows that are very successful on on YouTube that have both going on like they do things remotely or they do things in their own studio mm. and the video quality varies dramatically but mm. but the common thread is that the audio is always good quality. So and yeah. and that's always been kind of the weak spot of video for for many creators is the audio. So they they utilize lavalier mics and they, they are more removed from the microphone experience. And yeah. what I see happening increasingly is technology is kind of working on this. I'm seeing some startup companies that are starting to create microphone technologies that are going to be able to replicate like an SM7B uh, with a lavalier mic. That type of audio processing that can, can potentially enable better quality audio from no matter where you are. Right? You could be in an yeah. echoed office or you could be outside yeah. by a waterfall and it's still going to sound good. So that's where technology may help us on all this. But yeah, I, I think it depends on where your strengths are, where you're coming from, what you feel comfortable with. But I do think a converged strategy is kind of where the industry is moving towards. But that may lend yeah. itself more towards Shows that have achieved some level of success already and audience development yeah. to be able to do both effectively.
0: So I guess my, my experience recently is for my local show, Punching Sideways, which is about my area of the world. Potential audience might be a quarter of a million people in total. Sure. So obviously we're only getting a little chunk of that. Yeah. We haven't committed to doing full video because the audio show is pretty highly produced mm-hmm. But what we have done, myself and my co-host Mel, was when we get too zany and too wacky in the audio, it does seem a little bit incongruous with when we're doing interviews because sometimes those interviews get pretty serious. Sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're not. But what we have done is put a lot of our zany, wacky ideas into short-form video. Ah. And And I think that that might be a place where people can get a feel for video without thinking I have to produce two whole shows here. Like my podcast is an hour long and there's also the thing that you have to be prepared with video quite often if you're doing a talking head show, like if I was recording Rob and I now, there's only a certain amount of editing that I could do to this without it looking unnatural. Sure. A more raw product sometimes has to be put out to the world in video. Yeah. But we found, although there's a lot of flus and things going around in Australia, we both ended up sick for different reasons at different times. So yeah, that kind of put the halt on the video for probably a month in total, Mm -hmm. but- we found there was some success in re-engaging people that had been listening to the show that might have forgotten that we were still doing it or it's a local show, surely they're not still doing that. Like that was just whatever. We listened a few times two years ago. We've picked up a little bit more audience and particularly from people that maybe hadn't listened in a Mm -hmm. while. Those little bits of video, if nothing else, for the audio show were a good reminder that we still exist.
1: Oh, yeah. That makes sense.
0: And I don't know whether the content always has to be exactly the same. Like in video, there's some scope for you could be more entertaining or less entertaining or that's kind of what I'm trying to get at, Rob, is what are some ideas for where people can start if they're not thinking, oh, well, I want to replicate my entire podcast in video.
1: Yeah, I think you can you can create some short videos that can be put out if you know, stories, reels or on on YouTube or whatever um, in the you know like your mobile phone format that kind of thing where it's a it's a vertical image and and just do you know one one to two minute audio clips talking about a subject that maybe you covered in your podcast and and just go ahead and create it separately from your full podcast make it kind of unique to that medium and present it in a way that is authentic for those those vertical screen experiences And there's nothing wrong with doing that. I I think it just gets back to, you know, I think a lot of people want to repurpose what is in their podcast, but Mm. that that may or may not work as effectively as creating like a one or two minute kind of more organic or authentic kind of clip recording that you just record quick and then you upload it and it's done and it's over. You know, there's not a bunch of post-production clipping and segmentizing and all this stuff that you have to do to your episode to get it get it done, that, that may be a hurdle to getting it done.
0: And one thing, I, the mistake, I guess, that I see a lot of people making even big shows, like Bill Simmons did it the other day, mm-hmm. and his show's as big as they get. And the audio side of his shows is really pretty top-notch at the moment. It's always been good because he's a professional, but his team's really honed the audio. Mm-hmm. And whenever they do, do video with certain people, they're obviously lowering what they require from those people to the point where it was just two grainy videos stacked on top of each other and it sounded like they were talking through earbuds. Oh, right. So, if you don't have the reach that Bill Simmons has and people come across you on social media and your audio is really subpar, that's not going to map in people's heads to your show sounding good. Right. It might be enough of a reason for people to think, well, I could just go listen to something that sounds way better. <laughs>
1: he- the bar should be it shouldn't <laughs> I hurt think any- to listen, right? Is that the is that the bar? <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I think that if you're sacrificing connectivity, right. so by leaving the video on, if you're running a different kind of system that's lower quality to start with when you're making these video episodes, if you're interviewing people, and maybe the only way you know how to do that's to use your earbuds or something, I don't think it always maps to people wanting to hear the actual audio program.
1: Right. That's true. That's true. So you need to get a better Mic for your for your iPhone or your Android device, yeah. right?
0: There's a music marketing show that I've listened to for a long time and their audio quality has actually decre- decreased over time. Oh. Like it's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse because they're committing to more and more video, but clearly they just don't have the bandwidth on both ends to actually be able to handle that. Right. So they spend half the episode talking about something that's dropped out, the audio problems they're having, are stopping their guests, <laughs> because they're frozen and then that's all getting left in the product. Oh. So, not only is their audio quality bad, but the audio listener has to listen to the video issues Oh wow! that they've created for themselves. So, if you're out there listening, if you're having tech problems, particularly if you record live, can you just cut out all that chat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because <I've- laughs> I don't need to hear – Yeah, like that just drives me nuts.
1: <laughs> I've got a Rodecaster Pro – here and I, I've got what's called a TRS plug-in connection to the back of it and I have a, like a little adapter that I can plug right into my iPhone so yeah. I can do everything right in that I just mount this and then do do the video and I can do it through this microphone okay so oh nice. yeah.
0: well that's something that actually got removed from the Rodecaster 2 that I'm Correct. using here I mean I think there's a way to map the USB-C port yeah. to actually with an adapter yeah. but For the non-techie and people that don't want to go into the menu, it's funny, let's not get too sidetracked, but other than the actual preamp quality of this unit that I'm Mm -hmm. using, it's actually less stable than the original version because that was made as an audio recorder and this thing's running more like a computer. And I don't want it to become like a Windows versus Mac thing for a second, but the only example I could use is that this is like a Windows machine from 2017 uh, in terms of reliability, uh, where Windows 10 was causing an issue every week. And sometimes I'll turn it on and it will take two minutes to start up, like for no reason. Really? Like I don't, I've never actually, like I've updated it, and then it's never on Wi-Fi or the internet other than when I update it. Wow. And then sometimes, like a computer, it'll just take forever to start.
1: Oh, wow, I didn't realize that about it.
0: Yeah. Like I would, if you've got any kind of booster, a like cloud lifter or a dynamite, I would stick as long as possible with the one because I'm not actually that impressed with the two. That's just my feeling. I'm probably get, I'm probably going to get. Luckily, I'm in Australia. Otherwise, <laughs> although the guys from Road live, yeah, in Australia. They do. Right. I might be in trouble actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, the, I'll just I'll stop yeah. Talking so I've <laughs> got
1: the Rodecaster Pro here myself, the the original one, and then I I also use a cloud lifter on this this particular microphone, and it and it definitely yeah. gives me the gain that I need to.
0: Yeah, so anyone out there? That's just a complete side, well, side is. tangent. But you're basically trying to, in all cases, Rob. Regardless if you're doing, sorry, your new video programs, Trust Factor, correct. So if you're doing that one, or you're doing this, for example, you're always trying to get the audio right first. Is that?
1: Yeah, it's always fair the goal. To I say? don't always get it right, and I know you know I've been doing that new media show with Todd for many years, and we've we've struggled with my audio in in his
0: system. Uh, you can hear my audio here. This is the same thing I do with Todd. So, yeah, you sound fine. Right. It sounds like you're st- sitting right across on the other right. couch from where I am at the
1: right. moment. Right, and that's so. that's kind of what I'm feeding into Todd. So it 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 must be something in his system that has been causing this that he hasn't been able to isolate, figure out. But it's been a struggle okay. for even us. I mean, and we're both longtime podcasters, and you know, so sometimes these things are far too complicated to be easily solved. And that happens sometimes unfortunately
0: so we will talk about trust factor maybe to yeah. finish up just in a minute but I just wanted to we touched on earlier the idea of what's a podcast video podcast yeah. is youtube diluting the word or whatever so i think to begin with i might have been in the camp of a podcast is a certain kind of production mm-hmm. And then there's only so far you can water something down until the word doesn't mean anything. But now I think we're at a point where I've just gotten over that. People can call it whatever they want. In the end, I don't care what we think it's called. I don't care what people in podcasting businesses think it's called. I just care about what the people listening or watching the show call it. Mm-hmm. But they're the only people in the end that matter to me. So if they're calling it a podcast or a iPhone show or whatever they want to call it. I've got a bad cat speaker cab sitting here for my guitar amp. If they're calling it the guitar amp podcast, I, and that's not what it's called, I don't actually yeah, care. It's fine.
1: So no, I, I agree with that ideology, and I think others in the medium, like I got, I got criticized a little bit by Adam Carolla just this past week for claiming that what what Tucker Carlson is doing with his pod with his show on Twitter is kind of like an example of what could be done with Twitter around video podcasting. And he kind of took exception to that and said, well, it's not a video podcast because it's not utilizing RSS. And so that's, that cuts to the core of the argument. And sorry, sorry, Rob, Adam
0: Carolla. or Adam Adam Curry? Curry. I was thinking, I don't think Adam Carolla would. I don't think he cares. Would be tweeting you about that. I don't think
1: (laughs) Adam Corolla cares. No. But that's all, yeah, I used to work with Adam. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes he sense. So I just thought uh, it was, yeah, just to clarify for people listening, if they go to try and find that tweet right, or whatever. <laughs> right, it's
1: Adam Curry, who's considered the godfather of podcasting per se, kind of invented it to some degree with Dave Weiner. But yeah, so that that's the argument, right? If it's not an RSS feed, then it can't be called a video podcast. So right. that media file, I mean, that's a purist approach. And my philosophy on it, and Todd kind of, um, I think doesn't always agree, but is that it should be more about like what you said. It's more about what the audience thinks it is 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 more important. But I do think that content creators need to know the difference on the listening side or the viewing side, doesn't matter. They can call it whatever they want to. they They can call it a a vidcast if they want to, as far as I'm concerned. But it's, it's what we as content creators understand what the difference is between a show that's published on YouTube and a show that's published in an RSS mm-hmm. feed and and that we really technically shouldn't call a show that's published in YouTube a video podcast technically but I get it that that's kind of where we're going and, and I'm I'm open to embracing it while others as case Example given with Adam Curry are, are are not willing to accept that as a as a nomenclature for for video distribution on YouTube or Twitter or Rumble or any of those kind of platforms that are alternative viewing platforms for content that looks sounds like a podcast.
0: And I think we're in pretty much in agreement on most of that. One thing I will say though is that the word podcast, if it does get applied to too much stuff that is proprietary to different networks, it does lose one important ethical or moral element and that's there's a rebelliousness to the word podcasting that's inherent not only in the technology but in the mindset and that's why I think it's really important. And I don't think I've heard you say that quite the same way before, Rob, that we as creators need to know the difference. Yeah. Because if you're creating content on networks that can, for whatever reason, remove your ability to keep making the show there, just on the whims of whatever they're feeling at the time or if someone makes a complaint about you, there's an integrity to a podcast that me as an audience member knows that there's very little that can affect my ability to get that show long term unless the person stops doing it. Right. Yeah. and calling everything under the sun a podcast just cuz some part of it resembles a podcast i think i understand where adam's coming from and obviously he's a very passionate person, i do too.
1: i totally but, get it i, mean, I was yeah. I, I was from that era as well and clearly yeah. understands the anti-commercialism and the anti-proprietary yeah. ideology behind podcasting as a concept yeah and that that's where it's coming from
0: yeah i don't think we want to lose that
1: no we don't
0: idea of freedom to make the show we want to make. Right. I mean, obviously, if people are being hateful, they should be gone from everywhere. <laughs> but unless you're being intentionally yeah. hateful or trying to be harmful to a particular person, group or environmental cause or whatever it is that you might be anti, I think that there is a rebelliousness and that's why this show, even though the company that I have is a different name, this show is called Podcasting, it's punk rock for a reason. And that's because- and part of my language, but there's a "fuck you" element to podcasting yeah. that I don't think we want to lose. <laughs> so, well, it's it's yeah. like
1: Adam has always said in his podcast. You know, it's it's a it's a stick it to the man medium, right? We're getting yep. rid of the gatekeepers. Yep. We don't need any gatekeepers. We, we don't need anybody telling us what we can say and what we can do and what content we can publish. And but that's the yep. That's the challenge of the day today is that increasingly there is movement in moderation coming to podcasting and it's coming into the medium via podcast advertising. And so we'll see, I don't know if it's going to be embraced widely in the podcasting industry on like hosting platforms or all the listening platforms where there's content moderation, kind of like what we've seen on YouTube come into podcasting, but I do fear that it's on its way. The question is, how strongly are we as an industry going to stand our ground on this and say we're not going to allow it to come in? And I point mainly at the hosting platforms at this point because they're they're the ones that are going to have to make the first choice here. And I do think that the listening platforms may... It, it's probably a, maybe a foregone conclusion that that's going to increasingly happen on the listening side. But on the publishing side that is a that is a vulnerability that could come based on increasing adoption of podcast advertising with the hosting platforms
0: that's an incredibly good point and i don't think we have to be as a medium maybe and for the lack of a better term as militant about our independence maybe as what adam is for example i think that there's room for lots of different kinds of shows with different levels of fu yeah. and stick it to the man but I would be very disappointed, probably more disappointed in any one decision. in I've been in this making shows since 2011. And if a hosting provider that I was using started to moderate my content, even if it was something they decided that was impacting only the biggest shows and that filtered down for the lack of a better term to my shows at my level. And if that was all being driven by advertising that I don't have any interest in or any ability to get. That would be really disappointing because ninety five percent of the medium, or probably more, would be affected by decisions that are being made only that impact the top few percent in terms of what co- in terms of what content is okay to put yeah. out.
1: and I, and I think the adoption of programmatic advertising and how potentially wide adoption that could be over time, um, there's a there's a definite danger there that the platforms that embrace programmatic advertising will be also content moderated increasingly. So I think that those technologies tend to ride along together um, a little easier than even host reads. But I do think that it's going to um, also follow the big shows. I believe a lot of big shows are already being evaluated by these algorithms looking for shows that are, left or right of sorts, or talking about topics that a particular advertiser doesn't feel comfortable to be associated <laughs> with. It's called brand safety and brand suitability is the right. terms that are being yeah. used.
0: It's strange to me as someone that maybe lives outside of the media bubble mm-hmm. as a cert, on, on a certain level that A, there's companies out there evaluating brands that are bigger than their brand So if you're evaluating some big podcast, that podcast can just tell you to get in the ocean. Like, I don't care what you think about the content. You're just a little startup with no brand equity yourself, and you're judging my brand equity. To start with, I don't really care what you think, or my network doesn't care what you think. You can have your opinions, but that means nothing at this point.
1: I have had the impression that some of these platforms are evaluating shows without those shows' knowledge.
0: Okay, well, that's not right. appropriate. Um,
1: that's strange. I've yeah. heard people say that that was that was going on with some shows, and right. it's it's it it's a worrying trend because those shows may not even realize they're being impacted by it.
0: Right? Is this something that the advertisers are actually truly asking for, or is this a technologist creating a problem and then or a solution for a problem that doesn't exist and then convincing people it's a problem? Like I don't see. I think it's a
1: little bit of both. I. Yeah. I do think that the sensitivities of kind of social justice, um, and the changes in the culture are, are driving these concerns about topics that may be viewed, um, as divisive, right. Um, and exclusionary and maybe hateful, uh, and, and, and harmful to certain constituents that may, um, concerned about them. And, and thus, those companies have their kind of moral compass pointed at a certain direction and, right. and they just refuse to you know run ads on certain types of politically oriented shows or topics that they so, deem as inappropriate for their brand.
0: And I completely understand that. And once again, going back to what I said, if you're being hateful for any reason yeah. or intentionally exclusionary- right. Then I don't want to. I would never want to listen to that anyway. And yeah, that's something that's completely different. But right. I, I guess, what's the incentive for someone that may be hurt or infuriated with a show, or whatever the level of emotion you attach to hearing a program? Why would they keep listening? And why would that person ever be incentivized to purchase something from an ad off that program anyway?
1: Well, that's a very good point. I I think it's a point that also aligns with what YouTube is doing too, that, that, yeah, I, I think audiences are attracted to content that they, they align with. And, and, yeah. and I think that's the justification that these brands are saying is that old, just, you know, a show that's got two or 300,000 uh, listeners or downloads. Sure. We can reach those people, but do those people have aligned with the values that my brand that I'm at trying to advertise has and my target audience um, does it align left or is it conservative or liberal? Is it you know increasingly companies are looking at their their market and their their strategies uh, through through a lens like that now and that hasn't always been
0: the case. It just seems strange because to me it's short sheeting the intelligence of your potential audiences for shows. You just think oh we're going to tell you what this show is, you're not smart enough to figure that out yourself. Praise. And there's a fa- there's a famous radio host in Australia, Mick Malloy. He's probably the overall, other than Kyle Sanderlands, who's quite famous, but Mick's probably the next most famous radio yeah. host. And he said that the intelligence of the collective audience is 50% higher than you would ever assume. And he said that throughout his entire career. So if you're just assuming that people can't figure out... <laughs> what a show's true intentions are and that somehow you're better at that than the actual listener that's dedicated time to the mm-hmm. show that just that doesn't make sense to me it seems almost farcical but to me it feels like people inventing a problem because they have a solution in mind like how are they even getting into these big shows i'm assuming they're booked out forever anyway how much are we actually looking at here like how many spots are available that they could potentially consider putting an ad into
1: well, I think it's being used used to decide whether or not a particular advertiser is going to book, like you know, a six month or a one okay. year
0: contract, so right? Which makes sense, yeah, or re up, I'll right. assume. Right, yeah.
1: that's kind of kind of what what it turns out to be at the end. And if that evaluation is being done, but the show doesn't even realize it, that's you know, that, I don't think that that's entirely an ethical approach, and. The person that I talked to that was working on a platform like that, I kind of expressed that concern to them that you guys really should let the shows know that they are part of this Um, and it may be impacting their their, um, fill uh, of their advertising slots, right? Yeah.
0: But there's also, and it's funny, just even having this conversation, I have this funny feeling in my stomach, like if you even touch on these sort of objections to certain things that maybe people might think that particularly if you happen to be in North America that you lean a certain way politically or that you've got a certain kind of show in mind. Right. I don't listen to any I don't listen to any conservative type shows, but this seems to be the type of show that people are objecting to the most. Yeah. If the person doesn't know that they're being evaluated on these things and somehow their advertisers are channeling that evaluation through a third party company, if you're making mistakes that you don't even know about, you have no chance to fix them but you also don't know oh, we're talking about that like bill burr for example mm-hmm. if you were to listen to his show every once in a while you would think that he's a misogynist psychopath but he's a stand up comedian right, he's a who
1: is a a, <laughs> yeah, a, look, a terrorist or something right
0: yeah yeah like there's certain things like once again flagrant too they say some of the most outrageous things anyone's ever said on audio right. ever right and they're not they don't mean any of it. Like if you have no chance to actually explain, well, that was a joke, or that we went there, but we didn't mean to. That wasn't really what. We didn't screen that guest well enough. Their opinions don't reflect ours. None of that you get a chance to push back mm. if not, if you don't know the person's evaluating your content.
1: Yeah, and it 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 actually works both ways. It it it's going to drive more revenue to certain shows that are not traipsing into controversial topic areas. Mm. Um, but yeah. it could also ultimately. Well, let me back up and just say it for what it is. Um, controversy drives audience. Yep.
0: That's. I was wondering how do those shows maintain and build right. audience if they're completely milk toast if they're
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but they're shows that may may align with an extreme on the on one side or the other that aligns with a particular advertiser and what their mm. extreme views are. So so what it's going to do is it's going to split the pool, right? It's going to say, well, these shows are politically like this. these shows are politically like that. And certain advertisers are going to be associated with the sides, not all podcasts, right? So they're going to segregate all their buys to certain politically oriented shows on both sides, and and that's where we're seeing kind of this polarization of of advertising um, that's going into programs based on the political orientations of the programming uh, and the type of audience that it attracts. So. It's it's this parallel economy thing that, that a lot of people have been talking about that's been solely developing, right? It's this kind of like rumble versus YouTube kind of thing. And, you know, certain advertisers will never advertise on any shows in rumble, and certain advertisers will advertise shows on YouTube. And it's just kind of segregating the advertising community.
0: Makes sense. Right? And we've... we've- Ventured a long way away from video there, but I think that's actually more interesting than what yeah. we'll, we may have talked about anyway, Rob. So thank you so much for articulating all yeah, that. No problem. And also letting me get out a few of my feelings there. <laughs> I haven't really had a chance to talk to that. And I guess a lot of the world that listens to English podcasts is maybe less polarised than North America too. So sometimes it just feels like a bit of a tiresome argument to us, but it's good to have someone that, you know, is is there seeing that stuff in real time. Yeah. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess before we talk about trust factor because everything we we're just talking about has a lot to do with trust, mm-hmm. there's just one thing I wanted to talk to you about and it's been weird and I don't want to keep you too much longer but I mentioned Bill Simmons earlier and we've also talked about the programmatic ads and dynamic ad insertion. We touched on mm-hmm. that. There was a couple of episodes of Bill's show in the Australasian region wherever we're downloading from, from Spotify here where he threw to an ad and there was no ad fill. So he threw to the ad it made a little sound there was a gap and then there was another little sound and he came back. So where would Bill the Bill Simmons podcast sit in global downloads? It might be in the top 20. It might be in the top 50. I mean it's it's probably more popular than anyone would ever give it credit for because sure. it's a sports show. Sure. So mm. they don't they don't seem to get their cred for whatever reason, but that was really strange to me that maybe the biggest sports slash sports personality podcast in the world couldn't get ad fill in Australasia for an ad. So where are we truly at with that stuff when shows of that size can't actually fill out their catalog globally? And is it a danger to throw to ads for smaller shows that may actually never be filled? Because to me, it was really weird. Well, that's It just went, yeah, the, you're an expert on this. I trust your opinion on this more than anyone right. I've heard talk about it. So well,
1: that's the core issue when it comes to content on the programmatic side, right, is is creating hard breaks with programmatic dynamic advertising, um, especially the the auction-based programmatic advertising, is a risk, right? That you're going to have that experience in your content. That's why I tend to recommend that these breaks are not what what is called hard breaks; they're they're soft breaks, mm-hmm. which means that they're they're just gaps between segments, and they're not like announced. Without the ad, I think increasingly these ads need to announce themselves um, as part of the insertion.
0: So, what, what do you mean by that? Well, it, Can you give us an example? Yeah, of that mean? means that the the ad itself
1: announces that it's an ad when it's inserted, and then when it's okay. not inserted, it just looks like just a, a seamless transition between segments, and and the audience doesn't know that there was supposed to be an ad there that wasn't was never sold. And, and that creates a much better listener experience for the, the the listener and it doesn't cause what you just told me that you heard in the Bill Simmons podcast, which is
0: a and, a, and this wasn't a one-off thing. this has happened multiple times in the last six right, it also
1: speaks to so, the the market for advertising right now in podcasting. Mm-hmm. It's definitely down. I mean it's uh, there's many companies there's, There's a reason why you're seeing Spotify lay off 200 people, and there's reasons why you're seeing um, a lot of radio companies laying people off, and and especially around their podcasting sections is is that there are fewer ad campaigns being sold uh, right now, and it's I've heard from some agencies that have told me it's off like 30, 40 percent compared to like 2022. So, you know, that's right. a big okay. that's a big reduction. Though I I also talked to others that will fiercely defend and Todd is one of them to say that that you know, the advertising market isn't down for them, you know. So because they don't want to portray themselves as being in a down market, right? Or in a down situation okay. on their platform because then maybe they, they won't mm-hmm. get the shows to move to their platform.
0: And I don't want to ask an ambiguous question, but obviously the economy in certain large markets is obviously slowing considerably, but that hasn't always mapped in the past to a decrease in ad spend from big companies particularly. But is that drop in effective ad campaigns? Because obviously to reduce ad campaigns, you first have to have an increased number of ineffective ad campaigns. Mm -hmm. Is that contemporaneous with the lack of host reads versus dynamic ads? Or programmatic. Are those two things tracking together? Can we take anything away from that, that maybe we've moved too hard away from host reads? Yeah, I think host reads have been probably impacted more in at, yeah. at scale, but
1: the big shows have been still primarily getting a lot of host reads. So it's, yeah, okay. it, it's kind of shifted the spend towards bigger shows that have proven to be ROI driving machines for those particular brands. And I do believe that there is probably a little bit of a shift over to programmatic from some of those brands because those are lower cost buys. They're better better value buys. But yet the overall number of campaigns, the duration of campaigns has been reduced because of the economy.
0: And I wasn't trying to start some controversial statement there. I was just wondering. Oh, no, that's. It just seems that those two things are slightly contemporaneous. You reduce, you push away from host reads and then suddenly ads become less effective or they're not getting the ROI and then suddenly you start reducing your ad spend. Is it is it actually the quality of the ad more so than the economy? That was really what I'm well, getting it's, at. So.
1: It's always a little bit of that, right? There's, yeah. and it depends on who you talk to in the industry. If you talk to some folks, just like with Todd, they'll they'll tell you that everything is going great, you know, and then <laughs> other people will say, yeah. you know. Yeah, things aren't going so great, you know, that kind of stuff. So <laughs> yeah. you kind of have that, that yeah. spectrum. Uh, it depends on how candid people want to be. Yeah. Right.
0: And I guess the amount of production cost in the shows themselves versus the ads that That's you're, true. you're getting. If you're producing a streamlined, affordable show, you know, if you're doing it on the – you know, fumes of an oily rag sort of thing. And then, yeah, and then you'll make, it's still a great right. program, then whatever ads you're getting are highly. The ROI is massive. There
1: so, is a reason why there, yeah. there's been some big companies shut down shows. So that, the, yeah. that, yeah. that yes. explains we'll, that. We'll
0: leave that one there. Right. <laughs> so trust factor. And I've got to, I wouldn't say that I'm an idiot, but I didn't actually truly get when you first described the show the first couple of times, Rob, until I listened to it, obviously, because I, I have been listening I'm assuming you're seeing those downloads come from Australia. <laughs> so Yeah. What is the show? Because I didn't kind of get it to start with. I didn't get what it was meant to be or who it was for, and it took me a couple of listens to kind of tune in to what it was. Yeah, well, that's a good- So for people th- that- Can you tell yeah, us about it? That's some good good feedback too,
1: because I do think that that show is kind of pushing people's perceptions a little bit around, well, what is the topic of this show? And-
0: to you again in Part 3 with Josh List on and Rob Greenlee. Part 3s are always the best, except in the case of The Godfather, Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones and of course, Terminator, but don't let that scare you off.